Good morning. Great to be here with you all this morning. It's, uh, it's sweet to see all the kids. I like to see young fellowships and just kids all over the place. So feels like I'm at home. Get a few fights going at church. It's okay. I, I heard the normal time frame for service is about three hours. So if, if I go two, that that's okay. No? Okay. I don't want to get myself kicked out. We are going to be in Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Um, if you would turn with me there. Um, it is my normal custom to stand and read the word at the beginning. Um, and I was, I was blessed by that with you guys this morning. So if you would please stand with me. Titus chapter 1, verse 4. I don't know how many of you start singing the song in your mind, but... Galatians and Ephesians. Titus 1.4 To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That will be our text this morning. Please have a seat. It's going to be a long, it's a long, a lot of text there. So I'm guessing that you have never had a sermon opened with a story like this. Um, I'm going to read to you an article from Babylon B, but I think you're going to see how it ties in. If you don't know what that is, it's Christian satire. I think it's funny. Father of three wonders when he'll get the chance to influence others for Christ. Louisville, Kentucky. Stating that he had been feeling a sense of purposelessness and melancholy for some months now, local father of three, Andrew Harbaugh, recently began wondering when he would ever get a chance to impact anyone for the sake of Christ. Sources close to him confirm Thursday. Harbaugh reportedly spends his days working 10 hours at a desk job and his nights talking and playing with his three children. I just wish God would, get, would place a few people in my life for whom I could make an eternal difference. Harbaugh told reporters, his head in his hands, I just don't have time to do anything for the kingdom of God while I provide for my family and spend time with my three boys. Surely the Lord will have something important for me to do someday. He added sadly, He further stated that every second of his day is taken up with mundane tasks like instructing and caring for his children, leaving him little to no time to evangelize or influence others for the gospel. I've I've just got my hands full with these kids. When will I ever get to do some important kingdom work for God? He lamented. Now, obviously, that was Christian satire, but it makes a good, clear point. I read that article because it seems that we all get so busy and we think of the important stuff as so far away that we miss what God has placed right in front of us, right here. Now, one of those amazing opportunities is discipleship. 
What is discipleship? GotQuestions.org defines it this way. A Christian disciple is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life and become more and more Christ-like. Now, you may think of this as disciple-making, discipling, whatever you want to call it. I'm talking about the process by which we help others to grow in Christ, to come to Christ, to learn about Christ. This is from sharing the gospel to unbelievers to maturity in Christ. Matthew 28, 19, I'm going to read it again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make, baptize, teach them to observe all that I have commanded to you. This is what the sovereign king of the universe has said to us. This is what he has entrusted to us. With that, why is Christian discipleship so low? Um, I did youth ministry for seven years. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a great theologian to see we're losing big time with men and our youth. We're not just losing, we're getting ran off the field. We are in a desperate situation. We see people training others in so many different aspects of life. Maybe it's building or fixing cars. Maybe it's being business savvy or just work in general. But I would say the majority of the time in our culture, it has to do with sports and school. But what about training in the gospel, in godliness, that has a benefit in this life and the life to come? What about teaching them what Psalm 8.1 says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I saw a version I hadn't seen when I was looking this up, but Psalm 8.1 in the Living Bible says it this way, O Lord our God, the majesty and glory of Your name fills all the earth and overflows the heavens. That's the God we came this morning to worship. I was speaking to a, a young man one time, and I tried to use his father as an example trying to encourage this young man to follow the Lord. And when I did, I asked him about his dad reading the Bible at home. And he shut me down. He said, never. He never reads it at home. TV and video games. He was absent like Eli. Do you remember Eli? He was the high priest who failed to teach his sons right. He failed to discipline his sons. God said, 
that Eli honored them above him. We can't be Eli's. We cannot put other things before our God. Now, in the last, I'm working my way through Titus right now, um, but in the last sermon I had taught on this, I talked about the marks of a man entrusted by God. That this man entrusted by God, and if you know Jesus Christ this morning, this is you, that he is a servant, that he goes with God's message, and that he proclaims that message. He speaks it forth. It's not just something he keeps in his heart. It's something that he declares. This week, we will talk about three lessons of discipleship from Paul. My great hope this day is that you would freshly see discipleship and that you would engage your family, your church, your neighborhood for the good of the church and for the glory of God. So here we go. Three lessons on discipleship from Paul. But before we do, I want to pray. Um, I like to break some of my normal praying habits. So for our time praying this morning, I'm going to read a Puritan prayer for us. So if you would just join in and pray it with me as we go. O Lord of grace, this world is before us this day. And we are weak and fearful but we look to you for strength. If we venture forth alone, we stumble and fall. But on the beloved, beloved's arms, we are as firm as the eternal hills. If left to the treachery of our heart, we shall shame your name. But if enlightened, guided, upheld by your spirit, we shall bring you glory. Be our arm to support our strength to stand, our light to see, our feet to run, our shield to protect, our sword to repel, our sun to warm. To enrich us will not diminish thy fullness. All thy loving kindness is in thy Son. We bring him to thee in the arms of faith. We urge his saving name as the one who died for us. We plead his blood to pay my debts of wrong. Accept his worthiness for our unworthiness. His sinlessness for our transgressions. His purity for our uncleanness. His sincerity for our guile. His truth for our deceits. His meekness for our pride. His constancy for our backslidings. His love for our enmity. His fullness for our emptiness. His faithfulness for our treachery. His obedience for our lawlessness. His glory for our shame. He devoted His devotedness for our waywardness. His holy life for our unchaste ways. His righteousness for our dead works. His death for our life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Main point number one, discipleship must be personal. Paul knew the man. In verse four to start, he says, to Titus. Now, you may not think of this 
as a clear break in the text. But what do we have here? We have just a name. Titus. Names are important. Personally, I love to share why I named my children what I named them. I put the gospel and my wife in their names. Why is your son named Mark? I got saved listening to the book of Mark on an audio Bible. By grace through faith, and that's two of my daughter's middle names. And the girls are all named after their mama because after Jesus Christ, the second best thing I've ever got is my wife. Their names are treasures to me because they are. We want to know them spiritually, but it needs to start with a name. We care about who they are as a person. I had a youth kid come one time, and I do not remember his name, but I called him Ralph or something like that. And it was like I shredded who he was. Using the wrong name, it was like I offended all of who he was. Joyce E. Russell says that Why is it so important to use people's names? A person's name is the greatest connection to their own identity and individuality. Some might say it is the most important word in the world to that person. It's always struck me that the the Philippian jailer, that he didn't have a name in the text. Acts 16, Paul ends up in jail. And God ends up rescuing, but he was nameless. And and there are so many people out there that they just feel like nameless nobodies. For someone to love us and invest in us specifically means the world. Even if we don't like to say that, men feel the same way. Now, Paul specifically loved Titus. He loved people, but he specifically loved Titus. And he learned that because Jesus specifically loved him. There's a difference between those two things. There's a difference between loving the church as a whole and loving that individual of the church. Or at least a fulfillment of Of loving the church by loving that individual. Now. I don't know how many of you in here love Romans. I love Romans. It's an amazing book. Paul stretches things out clearly for us. He progresses the Christian life. But after he explodes those truths. He finishes in in chapter 16. And I just want to take a minute to read to you some of Paul's heart in chapter 16. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. And I'm going to mess up some of these names. So, Ralph, I'm sorry. These folks, I'm sorry. Greet my beloved Apatinitus. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus, Junia. Greet Ampliatus, Greet Urbanus, greet Apelles, 
who is approved in Christ. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And on and on and on. Till the end, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. Now, all of this, what, what I want you to take away from it is, let me give you a John MacArthur quote. Paul's life was filled with people. He was filled with deep relationships with people. Now, remember, we love because he first loved us. Paul was so affected of how amazingly kind and loving Jesus was to a wretch like him. A love of God should always transition to a love of people. A love for Jesus should motivate your love for those who belong to Him. Now, we can't all love on everybody. Nobody has time for that. But something important for us to know is we can all love on somebody. And we all should be loving on the Titus in our life. Titus didn't wake up spiritual. As it is a discipline to read the Bible, pray, and even, my pastor had said recently, it's a discipline to listen to a sermon. To keep your mind engaged with what some guy up here is saying. You have to discipline yourself to pay attention. But in the same way, it's a discipline to get to know people personally. That's step one of discipleship. Titus was known by Paul personally and he knew his personality. And he knew Paul personally and his personality. A discipler must know a disciple. Know his disciple. How many people do you think that Paul invested time in that didn't get a book of the Bible written about them? Paul was constantly about people. Now, I've seen this. The truth is, the young men and women in our churches, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care about them. We're filled with people all over the place that they just don't care about our doctrine because they don't see that we care about what happened to them Monday to Saturday. And that needs to be our step in discipleship, to love them. Instead of, instead of treating them like a project to fix, we see them as a person to know and love and guide and care for. What is their... What is there to know about people? What did Paul know about people? He knew their weaknesses. Timothy might be prone to fear. 
He knew Onesimus and his sin against Philemon and encouraged him to repent. He knew about Timothy's dad, his mom, and his grandma. Titus walked with him on the road. Titus had been on trips with him, talked with him. He knew Mark's fall and redemption. It used to break my heart when I would have a young man I was discipling. And the older godly men had no time to grab lunch with him. Now, this is something we'll probably... We can call many of the young men sissies or pants. That, that, those kind of things come up all the time. But that won't help or fix our young men. Lovingly caring for them. Lovingly spending time with them. Not being absent as their spiritual fathers like their earthly fathers are. Some missionaries came to Grace Hill recently. They said, we need more than Bible study times. We need life on life. Most foreign missionaries that I hear say the same thing. But too often, local church members don't feel the same way. In my experience, life on life is extremely, extremely rare. I, I would say to you, I loved the greet time this morning. It was, it was sweet to see you guys wandering around and loving on each other and saying hi. I, th- I think those times mean the world to people. This is what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I want to see my son. It will bring me great joy to see you. I pray for him. How did did he become Titus, the useful servant of the church? Paul surely worked to develop Titus. No time for a text or a call or a meal or even a prayer. Have priorities not gone off the rail? I wonder if our bank accounts are secure and we are good employees, but Titus is wandering aimlessly or in the ditch. Is God pleased? Have you missed the joy of having Titus in your life? If Paul's life was filled with people, what is your life filled with this morning? I have heard a constant critique of people all my Christian life about Sunday morning only Christians. But does our discipleship of God's children, of our own children, does it reflect that same attitude? One of my pastors said, everything else is wanting our time, talents, and treasure. This, this is something that jumps into my mind. But when is the last time you called a young Christian 
not for ministry, or a family member died, or someone was moving. You know, you know those calls, it's time to help move. Or some other event happened, or a church war, or to serve, but just because you loved them and wanted to encourage them. Nothing happened. You just loved them or are proud of them. The opposite of what their earthly father does. I say that again because that's where we're at in society. That's where we're at in society. God has called you to this. We need, we need a commitment to a Pauline understanding of Scripture to be like Paul, added with a Pauline love for people. Now, understand this morning, if you thought I was talking to pastors right there, I was talking to you. This is... This is not just the pastor's job. This is all of our jobs who know Christ to love and disciple those that are around us. Now the next lesson we learn from Paul in discipleship is discipleship must involve faith. He knew his faith. Titus 1.4 again. My true child in a common faith. Now, when I was talking about knowing his name and loving him as a person, I am not advocating just spend friend time, shoot guns, ride bikes, have dinners, and abandon doctrine. Our pursuit of knowing who they are is inseparably linked from knowing the truth about God. Christian discipleship is fiercely, passionately about the truths of God and passing them on to the next generation. I was reading online that 69% of churchgoers believe that everyone will go to heaven. 69% universalists. Obviously, we know emphatically, scripturally, that's not true. Joel Osteen said the reason that God silenced Zechariah was that he knows that we prophesy our future. That's how powerful our words are. God knew that if Zechariah went around speaking defeat, we're too old, this isn't possible, that would stop the promise. That is completely inaccurate. That is completely inaccurate. But that's what the church is so filled with. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul calls him my true son in the faith. We need to begin, and I think I've seen this morning, a lot of treating people within the faith as family. 
These are, these are not just random folks. These are fathers and mothers in the faith. Sisters and brothers. Sons and daughters. My true child. True means genuine. It most likely means that Titus was one of Paul's converts. He's not an opponent in the faith. He's a son. You're not trying to one him up. You're trying to build him up. I have to say, as I've been at Grace Hill, I I have been treated in a way that says I am not an opponent or a threat to their position, but a brother to encourage and invest in, to train. I, I see them genuinely desiring for me to succeed and be equipped, willing to spend time and give classes that I might grow in the common faith. And I would bet that they prayed for me this morning. That's, the, that's a great community to be within. I heard that one of the, the guys from here was supply preaching somewhere this morning and, and someone who had helped mentor him wanted to go and just be there for his son in the faith. That's, that's great. Now, Paul says common faith, common not in the sense of unclean, but common in we share this. We both have the same faith. Now, to know that you have the same faith with someone, you have to know what they believe. To know what they believe, you must spend time. What did Paul say about faith? Paul tells Titus in the next chapter, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith. He tells him in this chapter about elders. He must hold firmly to the faithful word as it was taught so that he can encourage others by sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. He tells us who sound faith is about In Philippians chapter 3, whenever I die, I want this passage read at my funeral. All our common faith leads to deep affection for the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That we would love and adore Him supremely above all other things. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3. The heart here of our common faith. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul thought that Jesus was this great treasure that is the ultimate guide point of our faith. Now, Paul in Romans 10 asked this question. How will they call on Him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul seems to see discipleship as the same. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit leads and could do without us. But we are the means he has chosen to affect and disciple. How can they learn the faith? How can they learn the faith unless someone comes to teach them? How can the young babies in the faith learn to grow into young men if they're not taught the word? Remember in 1 John 2 he says there's a difference between the three different um, spots in the Christian life. The babies, the young men, and the fathers. And the difference between the babies and the young men is that they abide in the word. How will they learn a strong doctrine of God, of sin, of salvation? Fathers, fathers who, who come to them as John sees and they understand that there's no greater joy than to see your children walking according to the truth. When you see someone that you've invested time in and they're preaching truth passionately from the word of God, that they see the supremacy of of God's word to everything that they think and they feel and what they hear on TV and outside. But God's word, God's word, scripture alone. Now I want to go back and add one verse to that 2 Timothy 1 passage. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Your sincere faith. A biblical mindset. Now what does Paul say about Titus? It says that he took him with him to Jerusalem in Galatians 2.1. In 2 Corinthians 12, 17 and 18. It says Paul, he walks, Paul says that Titus walks in the same footsteps by the same spirit. In 2 Corinthians 8, he calls him my partner and co-worker. In 2 Corinthians 8, again, he says, Titus was sent to receive the collection. Paul says he knew Titus had the same concern for them. He was going with enthusiasm. And he had even done it out of his own initiative. How will we complete the work in Bayfield or Farmington or Crete without Titus? How can we take him with us? How can we walk in the same footsteps with the same spirit? How can we have the same concern for them? How can we have the same doctrine as you if, if, you're not available to spend time with. Let me ask this question. It's a question I need to ask of my own life. What needs to die in your life so you can invest in people and their faith? What needs to go that the work that God's assigned to me might be a priority? 
so that you might encourage them and teach them. You may say this, I don't know good doctrine. Today's the day you start. Make sure that you can say that you do. Or maybe you say, my life and faith isn't one that should be looked up to. Then let me say lovingly, repent and go to your pastors and begin to passionately pursue Christ that your life might come to that point. Now, our last point. Discipleship knows what's essential. You know the man, you know his doctrine, you know what's essential. Grace and peace is what the text says. It may be a common greeting. You'll see that in this text, right? You've seen that many a times. Grace and peace, grace and peace to you. But I do not believe that Paul says it just because it's the norm. It's not one of those things where somebody says, how are you today? And you just say, fine, just because you're auto-generating. But I believe Paul said these words with real intent, with real passion each time he said them, because he knew the churches, his young men, everyone, that they needed this grace and this peace. And he knows where they come from. God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. These are essential gifts for completing the work. Now, I am very confident when Paul says grace and peace to Timothy, his true son in the faith, he does not mean you need grace to be saved and peace that isn't there because you don't know Christ. It would be a strange pastoral epistle if that was where he was coming from. That is definitely not what Paul is saying. That must mean that these two words have a wider meaning and a wider application to the life of those that know Jesus Christ. When you know them personally and you know them spiritually and you know their faith and you love them with a fatherly affection, you want them to have what they need. What's essential? Now, Titus is in Crete. One of the Cretans, this is in the text, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now, you may have thought, I am related to some Cretans, and that's why I moved to Bayfield to get away. I don't know. I stay out of that kind of stuff. But if you're going to get through and you're going to survive, you got to have this. Grace is essential. God's grace is essential. God's peace is essential. Grace. What is grace? This is one of my favorite words. If you take me after Jesus, if you took Jesus out, this is my number one. I love the word grace. I adore it. I I can't get enough of it. But I consistently, constantly tell people this definition of grace. 
It is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. God loves us, and we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, and we do nothing that merits that love. Our God loves us because he is so good. Now, mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell right this second. Even as I preach, I deserve hell. But I'm covered by the righteousness of Christ. But grace is much better. Grace is less about avoiding the hell that I deserve. And it's more about getting what I don't deserve. I would have been a janitor, not a son in the Lord's house, but I'm a son. I have that undeserved favor eternally. But what does the Bible say about grace? Hebrews 4.16 says, God's throne is the throne of grace. Colossians 1.6 says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. George Whitfield said, when you hear of a notorious sinner, instead of thinking you do well to be angry, beg of Jesus Christ to convert and make him a monument of his free grace. Why do we need it? We are told clearly that grace saves us through faith, and even that is a gift. But does grace stop there? In 2 Timothy 1.9, grace is the opposite of works. Literally, everything that we do that is godly or good is of His grace. I've been reading these devotionals to my kids for some time. Besides that they teach my kids godly things, I love them. We have such good times. There's a, an old Scottish guy in them named after John Knox. And when I do my terrible Scottish voice, my son starts yelling at me, No! 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 But in these devos, they've, oh, I, even though I've loved grace for so long, it opened my mind to something else with grace. It weaponizes grace. It weaponizes grace. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit to do everything, including honor our parents, love our wives and kids, know truth and share the gospel boldly, love our church family and love our enemies, to forgive and encourage. There's a reason the disciples come to Jesus after he teaches them about forgiveness. And they say, increase our faith, Lord. This is hard. John Piper said, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. St. Augustine said, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. It empowers 
Paul, Paul talks about it in this way in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This flesh that he had, this, this thorn in his flesh he had received. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I find my true strength in God's grace. You want to complete the work in Crete, Titus? Do you want to complete the work in Bayfield, brothers and sisters? You don't have it in yourself. It's not there. You need God's grace. You need it. I need it. You need it. I need it. We must have God's grace to complete the work. Now, let's move to peace. God's peace is essential. The text just says, and peace. The Bible says the Lord is peace. One of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 10.36, Peter tells Cornelius, This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. But what is peace? Um, One of the Greek lexicons defines it this way. The meaning of peace or tranquility may be expressed in some languages in a negative form. For example, to be without trouble or to have no worries or to sit down in one's heart. You know what I'm talking about. To sit down in your heart. You're at peace. Now here's where we need to separate the world's idea from what we believe. We think of peace as the absence of all troubles, of all enemies, no issues, no problems. But Christians have a peace through the Holy Spirit that can cause us to sit down in our hearts Or have no worries while the storm rages around us. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Why do we need His peace? Jesus said this, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now Jesus gives us two reasons we'll need his peace. Troubles and fear. Your opponents are rough. You're going to have issues with people. You're going to face hardship. You're going to feel fear. Inner despair. Isaiah 26.3 says, 3 and 4. 
You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord Himself is the rock eternal. Can you imagine Paul teaching Titus? Peace. Remember Titus. Christ said He would be with us always. And He has overcome the world. The things after this life are so secure, but the waves are sure to come over and over and over again. It's like this time with the COVID stuff. It seems like there's, al- there's always something new coming about. There's just new waves for however long we've been going about this. And we need God's peace in the midst of those waves. This is a prayer from the book of prayer. Most holy God, the source of all good desires, all right judgments, and all just works, give to us, your servants, the peace which the world cannot give, so that our minds may be fixed on the doing of your will, and that we, being delivered from the fear of enemies, may live in peace and quietness through the mercies of Christ Jesus, our Savior, Amen. I've seen this to be consistently the case. Um, we're, strugg- we're, we're surrounded by people that are struggling. We're usually consistently struggling with something. Someone offended us. Something. And we're surrounded by struggling men, young moms, kids, All kinds of people that need guidance in this world. And they need God's grace and God's peace. Are you praying for these essential gifts in the lives of anyone? You need to know and begin to ask for these gifts in the lives of those that you want to encourage in their walk with Christ. Reach out to them. Text them. Let them know you want these great gifts for them. Now, what does all this come down to? God has called every single person in this room that knows Jesus Christ to make disciples. And we want to disciple like Paul, And why do we want to disciple like Paul? Because Paul discipled like Jesus. These are lessons that we need to put into practice from his life. Learning who they are. Sharing a common faith. And letting them know what's essential while asking God for it for them. Now, it was nice to see I put this down in my notes, and after I saw how service functioned this morning, I knew you guys would be a lot more comfortable with it. But I want to pause for a second, and I want you to look down your row. I want you to look at your family. I want you to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and other people attending in this room. I want you to look at your pastors and your leaders. Just kind of make a a full room scan. But this room is is filled with people. I think one of your elders is not here and then your teaching elder is on the road. You can throw them in there as well. But ask God to give you a fresh love for Jesus and that that would translate into a fresh love for these people. And that His grace and peace would fill their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to break for just 15 seconds and in our hearts, I want to lift up those things. Amen. Jesus said that we would be known by our love. We need to be actively seeking to love people through discipleship. Is there any time in your life for this important work? Or is there any room in your life for the Titus around you? Titus may be your son. I heard this from a great dead saint. I love Leonard Ravenhill. He said, you have 24 hours in a day. Eight to sleep, eight to work. What do you do with the other eight? Span that out over 60 years and you have 20 to sleep, 20 to work. What are you going to do with the other 20? Let me ask you a question that will ring in eternity. This is going to echo in eternity. Will that answer include obedience to the Great Commission? Or will it have rebellion against the command of the sovereign king of the universe? It's a heavy question and something we need to weigh our hearts about. The people that have invested in my life, I am so grateful for. And maybe that's a good trigger for anybody that's invested in your life. Tell them thank you. Send them a text and begin to be who you were so thankful that they were to you. Now, as we close and the worship team comes back up, um, if, if you're here this morning, And you're not a Christian. Maybe you just wandered in today. You just felt like you needed to go to church and there was a stirring in your heart. You may have been burned by church before. We've all heard the stories. Probably all of us carry a little bit of burden in our hearts at times that we have to deal with. But I want you to know as much as we try to get to know you and to teach you And to pray for you, we will, every single one of us, let you down. 
But our purpose, what we want to do, is point you to the one who never will. Our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something missing for you. Something's not right. And, and if you're anything like me, you know that when you're at home at night and your conscience is burning as you try to go to sleep. I used to have to leave the TV on so I wouldn't feel bad about all the bad things that I had done. God constantly churning my conscience because I had no righteousness in Christ. And you surely know that you do not have God's grace and God's peace in your life this morning. I want you to know I don't want to speak peace to you in your current place. You're an enemy of God at this moment. You have a sin problem that condemns. But I do want to give you hope. We plead with you to run to our Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him that you might know the grace and peace that can only come from a relationship with Him. Here's your hope. All who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. Father, I thank You for this time to share. God, thank You for putting people in our lives to love us. This world is hard. God, we, we struggle in so many ways. God, and I just pray for your grace and your peace on this church. God, that you would help them to walk through this time. God, that you would help them to be a blessing to this community. God, that you would just continue to make their fellowship sweet. Lord, so please send your spirit on us. And as we leave this building, that the world would see there's something different about us, that we truly belong to the sovereign King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have no righteousness outside of Him. In Jesus' name, amen.